tour stories. I my nervousness is rising because I could see myself ending up in a Bulgarian jail. You have your show. We leave on Tuesday. You leave some dirty venue at like 3 a.m. It's a Sunday night. I move to Mississippi. You drive at halfway to someplace, sleep for like two hours, and join the bluegrass band. Well, hey there, people, gather around. It's the whole room is just singing, like the room is just alive with song. This is the Tour Denver podcast. For more information about Tour Denver or our sponsors, please visit RacketourDenver.com. Welcome to Tour Denver. Today's event is Tales from the Tour. So whether you've stumbled here by accident or you're here on purpose, um, you are now part of a storytelling evening. Hooray! <laughs> I'm Amber Blaze, and this is David Reinhardt, and um, tonight we'll be your guides as we travel the world on tours. I just want to take a minute and thank our sponsors from the evening. Our sponsors are Carbon Beverage Cafe, Denver Bicycle Cafe, Pete Beland, and KGNU. And I also want to thank Infinite Monkey Theorem for hosting us tonight. Yay! (laughs) Our first storyteller tonight is Kevin Larkin. Kevin is a, a singer, songwriter, and producer, and musician in the band Chimney Choir, which uh, just won Westward's Best Folk Band, so congratulations to them. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, Kevin is known for his collaborations throughout Denver. He's worked with artists and musicians on a number of works that you've probably seen around town, and he's also a firm believer in that elusive Yeti. <laughs> so please help me welcome Kevin. <laughs> Okay, well, this is Tales from the Tour, and um, I thought back on my uh, 12 years as a touring musician, and, uh, and at the point in every young man's life when he decides to strike out on his own and abandon his familiar surroundings and uh, take a chance out there, I did what any aspiring mandolinist would do. I moved to Mississippi and joined a bluegrass band. I was the only Yankee around, and I stood out like a stalk of corn in a cotton field. And the only person I knew was the guitar player of the band I was about to join, Axel. And Axel introduced me to the rest of the guys, and I was a little bit nervous at first, but they welcomed me truly like family. There was Papa on the bass. There was the captain on the banjo. There was Holler and Hollister on the fiddle. There was Axel on guitar, and pretty soon, I was given the nickname Detroit Red. (laughs) Now, at that time in my life, the only music I listened to was recorded before 1956. And it was to my wild surprise and of such relief when the rest of the guys, I realized, were into the same music that I was. And our heroes could be found on any music shelf at Walmart. And they were the honky-tonk heroes of the golden years. I'm talking about Hank, Waylon, Willie, George Jones, Jimmy Martin. They lived hard and died young, and they really sparked something in us. 
And at the same time, I had just moved to Mississippi, which, as everyone knows, is the heart of the blues. So I learned a lot about the old blues masters, the black music of the 1920s and 30s, which just blew me away. They sang about moonshine and jail time. They sang about chasing girls. They sang about deals gone wrong. They sang about who's going to slop my gravy when I'm dead and gone. We became obsessed, and we wanted to be just like all those guys. So we'd pack up the van and drive down Highway 61, past all of the cotton fields and the crumbling churches and the old shotgun shacks, on to the next gig. We were carrying on that old tradition, that time-tested tradition, and we thought we were a ragtag band of outlaws, hell-bent on having a damn good time. And the shows we played were wild. We played at juke joints, ball games, speedways, fish fries, tailgates, hunting camps, casinos, and crawdad holes. At one show, deep in the Mississippi Delta, a bunch of cowboys in town showed up for the rodeo. And we were playing that night, and it started off pretty tame until they walked in, and they were a nice bunch of guys. But then a local drunk went up to one of them and flicked his cowboy hat off of his head. And the next thing we knew, we were the soundtrack to a full-on rodeo brawl. It was a cartoon cloud of arms and legs just floating across the dinner tables. <laughs> well, but we weren't a violent group of guys. In fact, our mission was very, very, very simple. We wanted to make sure everyone out there had the best time that they could possibly have. And it was all summed up in one word. Mayhem. May all your hangovers end miraculously. <laughs> we were, after all, the Mayhem String Band, and general insanity followed us wherever we roamed. One of my favorite antics was when Papa, the bass player, would lay down his bass in the middle of a song, put it down, and then kind of creep to the back of the stage, and unbeknownst to the crowd, reemerge with a leaf blower full of Cheez-Its and confetti. <laughs> and then shoot it off into the crowd. We would drive all day, play and party all night, and then wake up and do it all over again. Now, I would, I would bet many of you in this room know that being a touring musician is, it's got a lot of ups and downs, feast or famine, truly. One minute, you're playing opening up for your favorite band at your favorite theater at a packed house in your hometown. And the next minute, you're dodging beer bottles at 4 a.m. in Little Rock, Arkansas during the coldest ice storm of the last decade with an eight-hour drive the next day to Chattanooga to make $75 at a sports bar. And you spend a lot of your waking hours sitting in the van, staring out the window, wondering what the hell you're doing with your life. So, in order to combat this boredom, you come up with a lot of games. And we came up with a whole lot of games to combat this. And I'll, I'll tell you about a few of my favorite ones. The first one was called Stang. And I still play this sometimes. In fact, I taught it to David and Chris in Chimney Choir. We played it for maybe about six months. <laughs> but Stang involved everyone in the van throwing a dollar down into the pot. And then the first person to see a Ford Mustang would yell out, Stang! And then they would collect the money. 
There was also staying in 30, where you would bet a dollar that you would see a Ford Mustang in 30 seconds, and everyone would bet against you. And in the Deep South, there are a lot of Ford Mustangs. Another game was the sign game. And the sign game, it wasn't really a game, it was more of a sport. And it was a, a very uh, particular form of athleticism and skill where the player would lean out of the window and launch a projectile at a moving target. And if the projectile hit the target, it would shatter to the delight of the crowd gathered in the van. And the moving target happened to be a speed limit sign, and the projectile was an empty beer bottle. But the sign game was banned after a few years because one cold December night, driving back from a gig in the Delta, a bottle hit the target but didn't shatter. It actually ricocheted, flew back, and shot like a missile through the backside window under which I was sleeping and shattered into a thousand pieces. So... We dedicated our time to more intellectual pursuits. We invented the Sign Game 2. And now the Sign Game 2 was, uh, was a question, and the captain had an old, bottle of, or old box of Budweiser, and he wrote on the back a simple question, and we would drive up to a car and get right up next to him, and then the back window of the van, you know, the little side windows on those old F-350s or E-350s, you would crack them open and you would lower the sign down for the passengers in the van and the car next to you to see. And it was a very simple question. And it just said, kindly show us your boobies? <laughs> I would say that this antic generated about 70% laughter, 29% anger, and 1% of the time, someone would show us their boobies. But we were gentlemen. We weren't just outlaws. And on the back of the sign, if you flipped it over, it said, thank you, with hearts and rainbows drawn on it. <laughs> One year, we were coming out of a particularly long and cold winter. Everyone was broke, but we were all very excited about a tour we had coming up. And this tour stretched from South Alabama up through Tennessee and Georgia into the Carolinas, and ended at the Bristol Rhythm and Roots Fest in Bristol, Virginia, a great festival. And we were pumped up. The first gig of the tour paid really, really well. And it was the perfect spring day in Dixie, which is one of my favorite places to have a spring day. It was Sunday. It was Mother's Day. The sun was shining. The magnolias were blooming. And we were living our dreams. We were traveling around the country playing music that we had written. And so... Axel was at the wheel, the captain was navigating, Papa, Holler, and Holster and I were in the back looking for Mustangs, when all of a sudden, a convertible sped by us with a woman with blonde hair flying in the wind, and we all looked at each other and said, the sign! And so Axel slammed on the gas, and the captain cranked up the music, and just as the engine was about to shift into gear... We heard a terrible, terrible sound. We all looked at each other, and we knew that the worst had happened. The truth 
swept through the van like a cold gulf breeze. The transmission on the van had dropped. We were in South Alabama on Mother's Day, a mile away from a gas station, and about to miss the best-paying gig of the tour. Thank God the van was able to roll that last mile into a gas station to call a tow truck. Now, in this part of the country, a bunch of long-haired, hippie-looking guys piling out of a smelly van often causes some distrust amongst the locals. So it was to our brilliant surprise, we took it as a good omen, that the kid in the gas station was blasting the Grateful Dead over the speakers. And this is before smartphones. He gave us a phone book, and we called up every taxi service, shuttle service, anything, that, any vehicle that could possibly take us to Auburn, Alabama to make this gig, and not one of them was open. Tough times. Sunday, Mother's Day, South Alabama. Waves of anger and embarrassment started showering over me. I couldn't believe that we thought we would catch up to a woman going 80 miles an hour, alone in her car. She would look over, be able to read the sign, and then remove her top and show us her boobies. It was preposterous. It was insane. And so we sat there as the tow truck came, picked up the van, and hauled it away. We got all of our belongings out on the curb and sat there, shit out of luck, with no plan. So we called up our friend that booked the gig, and we said, there's no way we can make this gig. We've called every place in town, and we're just going to have to be here for a few days until the transmission gets fixed. And he said he might have had one last, or he has one last idea to hang tight. And sure enough, he called back in five minutes later and said, I got you guys a ride. We all looked at each other like, no way. We looked down at, our, at the watch, and if this ride came within a half an hour and booked it as fast as it could to Auburn, there's a chance we would have made the gig. So we sat there on the curb, and the captain reached down and got the banjo out of the case and started singing a song. I'm going down that road feeling bad I'm going down that road feeling bad I'm going down that road feeling bad Lord, Lord, I ain't gonna be treated this old way And as he played that last note we looked off in the distance, and behold, a black limousine. And in the limo, a driver. And the driver got out of the car and said, Are you the fellows that are looking to get to Auburn? And we said, Yes, sir. And we packed that limo with the upright bass, the guitar, the banjo, the fiddle, the mandolin, and all of our gear for the next three weeks, and it barely fit. Brilliant. We didn't even think about it. A limo service. So we hauled ass down to the venue, told the driver to step on it, and we were going to make this gig in time. So I'd like to tell you guys a little about the venue that we were going to. Uh, some would call it the Carnegie Hall of the South. 
It was a marvelous experience, and as the limo pulled up to the venue, the manager came out to greet us. The sun was setting at this point. We had warm feelings. We were about to rock this house. He showed us into the green room, took our dinner order. We got all tuned up and stepped out onto the stage, which was located about three feet in front of the soda machine. And we looked out into that crowd of about five elderly couples at the local Hardee's fast food restaurant. It was the debut of the new prime rib thick burger. We were hired to play this momentous occasion of a one-third pound black Angus beef patty topped with thinly sliced primed rib, horseradish sauce, Swiss cheese, and grilled onions prepared on a ciabatta roll and served with a cup of au jus for dipping. We played our hearts out that night. We received mild applause from the kitchen staff. And as we played the last song, an elderly woman walked past us to the soda machine stuffed her purse full of ketchup packets and salt packets and walked out the door without ever acknowledging our existence. But we made it to that gig and left with our bellies full. And the next day, we drove eight hours to a sports bar in Chattanooga. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rackin' Tour Denver. If you enjoyed the podcast and live in Denver, join us on September 12th at Barrel's Beer Room for our next event with the theme of pets. Here's a reminder to head to RackandTourDenver.com where you can find upcoming events, speaker bios, podcasts, and more. Each episode of Tour Denver showcases music from local musicians. This episode features music from Stefan Brackett.